0: Oh, God, we sing those words, ours, the cross, the grave, the skies. Hallelujah. We have not come to this place without hope. We have come with sadness, perhaps, but we have not entered here without hope. Let the living Christ engage our minds and address our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ today, do you know what the number one cause of stress is this Resurrection Weekend in the United States? The number one reason why Americans are stressed out on this sacred weekend. Number one. By the way, a few weeks ago we did a survey of the student body. 318 responses. What is your number one felt need? Number two in the Andrews University student body is the number one stressor in America right now. Question Does the resurrection of Jesus Christ offer any solution to our number one need? Let me read a poem to you, composed by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. Very short poem, simply titled The Debt. That's D-E-B-T. Three verses. This is the debt I pay, just for one riotous day, years of regret and grief, sorrow without relief. Paid I will to the end until the grave, my friend, gives me a true release, gives me the clasp of peace. Slight was the thing I bought. Small was the debt I thought. Poor was the loan at best, but, oh, the interest. Debt. There's one of us here that doesn't know the meaning of that word that sounds just like death. And what's the difference? And by the way, even if it's not financial debt that you face today, the truth of the matter is that there's depression. And what is depression but emotional debt? There is despair, and what is despair but existential debt? There is discouragement, and what is discouragement but personal debt? There's divorce, relational debt destruction, painful death. Death, the ultimate of debts. So the question this Resurrection Weekend for us is, who shall deliver us from this body of debt? We turn to the Resurrection story. Open your Bible with me, please, to the Gospel of Luke. You got your phone with you? Pull it out. Luke chapter 24. Let's go to the Resurrection story. Luke chapter 24. I'm in the New International Version today. Luke 24. Didn't, didn't bring a Bible? Grab the pew Bible in front of you. Just let your eyes rest on the story of that first resurrection long ago. Luke chapter 24, picking it up in verse 1. And on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared, and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them, and in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. Whatever beings these are, they deserve worship, and they are on their faces. And the men speak. But the men said to them, I love this, why do you look for the living among the dead? Did you have the address for the cemetery to find the one you're looking for? Why are you looking? They're not living around here. This is a cemetery. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how He told you while He was still with you in Galilee? The words of Jesus. Now, here they come. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then, the last line of the Easter story, and then they remembered His words. Turns out that our deliverance from debt has a whole lot to do with remembering. Because how easily we forget. How we forget that just yesterday I had to have this. I had to have it. And today I can't figure out how I pay for this now. How easily we forget. How did Paul Lawrence Dunbar put it? Slight was the thing I bought. Small was the debt I thought. Poor was the loan at best. But, oh, the interest. And it's the interest that kills us and chains us and suffocates us. We all know it. How quickly we forget. Put that last line up again. Luke 24, verse 8. Then they remembered His words, because how easily we forget all of us, which is how we get into debt (laughs) time after time again. All of us, we forget. And by the way, how big is this, all of us? You'll be surprised to hear this. You're not alone. Let me run some stats by you. Reach into your your, uh, Resurrection Weekend bulletin. Pull out the the, uh, study guide for today. Pull it out. Jot these numbers down, will you? You didn't get a study guide? Here come our, our ushers. They'll make sure you have one. Just put your hand up up in the balcony as well, and we'll be happy to serve you. Those of you who are watching on television, live stream or television delayed, we're glad that you're here on this, this joyous weekend. You see on the screen there, this is the little series How to Survive the Coming Economic, mini- economic Crisis. This is a mini series. It ends next week, the final wrap up. But today's edition. He is risen. Breaking the chains of financial bondage. Who doesn't want that? Me, too. Okay, let's jot it down. We're not alone. Here's the good news. Misery Loves Company. Jot these numbers down. At the end of last year, 178.6 million Americans had a credit card. (laughs) Wow. Keep going. And the average credit card debt per borrower? is $5,736, up about 7.5% from 2015. Can you believe it? In fact, keep writing. If you paid only the minimum payments on a $5,000 credit card debt, you would be in debt for more than 18 years, and get this, and you would end up paying $6,372 in interest based on national averages, which means add the 5000 You pay over $11,000 just to pay off that $5,000 bill. Go figure. Did you think they were in this as a ministry to you? <laughs> Millennials. No, no, no. Before that, according to... A nerd wallet study. The average American household, get this, has more than $16,000 in credit card debt. That's not mortgage, student loan, nothing. That's only credit cards. My, keep writing. Millennials, here we go now. 18 to 34, got, got millennials here today. 18 to 34, millennials now carry around $36,000 in debt. That includes student loans, that includes credit cards, that includes mortgages. Very few millennials with mortgages. In fact, jot this down. Total student debt in this country now exceeds $1.3 million. <laughs> I'm sorry, trillion. I just can't say that word. I just can't say that word. <laughs> Thank you for correcting me. <laughs> Man, I'm so glad you're here today. <laughs> I just can't say the word trillion. It just doesn't seem possible. How could you have $1.3 $1.3 <laughs> trillion dollars of student loans? I'm leaving that number right now. You know what? For this generation, seriously, for this generation, mortgage is not the new debt. They'll never have to worry about mortgage because they'll be paying off their education. That's their houses now. My. Okay, keep going. Thus, 75% of Americans live from paycheck to paycheck, nothing left over. Keep going. More than half have less than $1,000 reserved somewhere for emergency purposes. And the final number, according to USA Today, some 40 million Americans, or 16% of the adults, think they will miss at least one credit card due date in 2019. I will go in debt further, because I'll miss it. Why? Because we're in debt. That's the big deal. The number one stressor in America. So like the women at the tomb who are wondering as they go to the tomb, who's going to roll the stone away? We're asking the same thing this resurrection weekend. Who's going to roll the stone of my debt away? My little credit card. I can't pay it off. Hmm. Then, how's that line go? Then they remembered Jesus' words. And what shall the words of Jesus tell us? Well, let's just go back to the words that the angels quoted. Jot this down in your study guide. Remember, they said, now, don't you remember what he told you? And here's what he told them. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners. Key word. To the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. It's the gospel story in one tiny sentence. You just got it. Answer me this question. When Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago on Good Friday, and by the way, for his followers then, it was an awful and tragic Friday. But when Jesus died on the cross, what does the gospel declare? What does the Bible teach that God placed upon Jesus? What did God place upon Jesus? Let's find out. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. You remember this line. And the Lord has laid on him the what? The iniquity, the sins, all of them. You're saying, what sins are you talking about, Dwight? I'm talking about them all the ones that we laugh off with a little snicker. Not a big deal. The ones that are so oppressive with their guilt, it's like a ball and chain that we carry through life. Those are the sins. He took them all. All of my sins. Is that just an Old Testament bit of good news? No. God laid the debt of all my sins on the heart of the Lord Jesus, and it crushed His heart. It's also New Testament. Jot this down. Second Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 21. And God made him who had no sin to be sin for you and me so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. Our terrible indebtedness was laid on him. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something. This is great news. His spotless, perfectly lived life, unindebted, was credited, has been credited to you and to me. In fact, jot this down, will you? He died a debtor, so that we might live debt free. Yeah, but do I? Come on, time out, time out. I know. Listen, listen. This is this is talking about moral indebtedness. Nobody here is talking about financial indebtedness. Those verses you're quoting. Oh, so you want something that has a little monetary jingle to it? I'll give you one. Another one. Second Corinthians chapter eight on the screen, eight verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich. Yet for your sake he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I hate to tell you, but that's about as monetary a depiction as you can get anywhere in the Bible. He who was the richest of the rich took on the poverty of you and me. And who are we? We are the poorest of the poor. Look at us. So that through that transaction, we who are in debt up to our eyeballs might be delivered from our debt by exchanging our debt for His wealth and riches. The story of the resurrection. Hallelujah. But we forget. Put, that's, put that line again, please. The last line of this Easter story that we read. Then they remembered His words. Yeah, but come on, I, please, what does this have to do with freeing me from financial bondage, from financial debt? That's a very good question. Let me answer the question, Let me answer the question with another question. Could it be? Now, think with me. Could it be that the Christ who bore our moral indebtedness to the grave and he buried it in that grave, and he came up out of the grave without that moral indebtedness. It's all buried. Could it be that that same Jesus has the capacity to to bury our financial indebtedness in the hole of the ground and leave it there, and we come up free and delivered? I mean, could could he do it? Of course. It's just a rhetorical question. You got to remember what He said. That's what the women said. Oh, I get it now. I remember what He said. You remember what He said in the Sermon on the Mount? See if you remember this one. Jot it down in your, your study guide. Jesus speaking. Sermon on the Mount. Matthew six thirty three. Seek... What's the next word? Seek first. Ooh. Seek first the Kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, Dwight, how's that going to get me out of financial debt? Oh, I want to share with you a story. I just learned the story this week. You're not going to... Well, you, you, you might believe it. I'm going to say this story because I want to to the, to the last action step. Let me share with you a handful of action steps, all right? We're talking about credit card debt. That's all America's thinking about on this, on this holiday weekend. So let's talk about that. Let me just share with you a series of action steps. Jot them down real quick. They're there in your study guide. Number one, perform what Dave Ramsey calls a plastectomy. Do you know what a plastectomy is? It's cutting up the, pla- the plastic in your wallet. Use cash. Use cash. We get a little magazine here at the church called Thriven. It's put out by a Christian credit union. I was going through that magazine just uh, two or three weeks ago, and I came across this interesting little bit of practical counsel. I put it in. It's not a fill-in-the-blank thing, but you see it tucked into your uh, study guide. Thriven is saying, look it. Number one, don't use debt don't use credit cards to buy short term consumer goods such as clothing, entertainment, or electronics. Just come on. Why? Because it's going to be gone. I'll outgrow it. Number two, avoid debt over items with a short lifespan and little resale value. That thing's worth nothing now. And finally, number three, avoid debt which comes with a very high interest rate. And guess what? Credit cards come with a very high interest rate. Avoid those. Okay, cash. Number one. Number two. No, no. Put Dave Ramsey out. You got to hear Ramsey speak for himself on the screen. This is Dave Ramsey. There is no. Those are his caps. There is no positive side to credit card use. You will spend twelve to eighteen percent more if you use credit cards instead of cash. Why? Because you've always got. I can. I can afford it. If you have to use plastic. I suggest a debit card. I use them for travel and the occasional convenience of ordering something over the Internet or phone. Other than that, I use cash." End quote. you can be as poor as a church mouse and still just use cash. Okay, number two, always pay more than the minimum. We got that one from those numbers a moment ago. I mean, can you believe that? $5,000 balance. Paying the minimum payment it will take you over 18 years to pay it off, and you end up paying interest of $6,372, plus the $5,000. They're not trying to be your best friend. Uh-uh. Pay more than the minimum. Come on, pay more than the minimum. Okay, number three. Pay off your credit cards, beginning with the lowest balance, in order to experience success as soon as possible. There are some counselors out there, and I've seen them on the, on the uh, online. There are some counselors that say, no, no, take the highest interest rate loan that you're paying off and work on that one. No, because you know what? You'll be paying that forever, and you will never taste success. Take, a, take the smallest one you got and just have a party when you do the first one and you pay it off. All right? Number four, reduce the interest rate. The Motley Fool website. Their address, by the way, www.fool.com. I love that. The Motley Fool. You know what they suggest? The credit card companies are so eager to keep you as their customer, they will oftentimes lower their finance charge. Call them up. There's an 800 number on the back of your bill. Call them up. But here's here's the caveat. You have to call them before you miss your first payment. Because once you've missed a payment, you are a liability to them. They won't won't talk nothing with you. So call them while you're still making the minimum payments and say, sir, I'd love to stay with your company. I need you to lower my rate. You'd be surprised what they'll do for you. Okay, number five, beware of debt settlement companies. Oh, brother. The Federal Trades Commission gets a heavy volume of complaints from consumers about these. Hey, come on, come over here. Come to this website. Come over here. We'll help you out, man. We'll just take a little bit of your money and we'll help you out. Forget it. You need to either go straight to your credit card company, go to the bank where you have this loan, or call this number. Now, this didn't get in your study guide. I want you to put it on the screen, please. Let's put that number. It's an 800 number. Call the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. I called this number last week to check it out. It's okay. In fact, do you know they are the the first and largest nonprofit dedicated in this nation to financial well-being. So jot this down for a friend of yours, all right? You don't need it, but jot it down for a friend of yours. 800... 800-388-2227. Give it to your friend. Do do her a favor. Do him a favor. Hang on to that number. Give it to them. All right. Because the point is this. You got to talk to somebody. You have to talk. You can't just keep it inside. And that's action. There are only seven of these. Here comes action step number six. Talk to somebody. You've got to talk. Uh, James Skirlock, in his eye-opening book, Maxed Out, puts it this way on the screen. Maybe it's because of what Dave Ramsey calls the intense shame that everybody feels about debt, the false certainty that everybody else has got it together except poor little me. Wrong. Or maybe it's what Bob, the Debtors Anonymous member I interviewed, told me. Bob said debt is simply not a socially acceptable topic. One can talk about one's sex life or even one's drug addiction as though it were fashionable, but owning up to one's financial troubles means being ostracized from the world of polite conversation." End quote. It's true. There's just a stigma. There is shame attached to this. You got to get over that shame. You've suffered long enough Resurrection is about freedom. It's time to begin the freedom march. Talk to somebody. You got that 800 number? Talk to them. You got somebody that's close, that you feel safe with? Talk to her. Talk to him. From paupers to millionaires, there are thousands of people in debt. You're not alone. Don't be shamed out of help. You need help. Now, here comes. I promise you this short story before I sit down. Here it comes. I wish you could have been in chapel this week. Were you in chapel this week? Oh, I wish you could have been in chapel this week. It was something else. We had a student right up here. Uh, he is a pre-med biology major from Pennsylvania. His name Gianni Zanata. Okay? So Gianni delivers the chapel address, and I'm sitting right over there. And he opens up. This is very, very clever. He opens up with a black screen and in white letters, money. Got all of our attention. And he says, okay, guys, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And here come the questions. Question number one. How many of you take advantage of one of these monthly subscription services, and on the screen, there was Dollar Shave Club and there was Ipsy. Dollar Shave is for the guys. Ipsy is for the girls, because they'll send you all that makeup that you want. Just keep keep telling us to send it to you. With a bill, of course, but just we'll keep sending it. Yeah, I put up a whole bunch of them, and hands went up all over this place. He said, okay, now I'm going to raise the bar a little. How many pay monthly subscription fees for music? That would be iTunes or Spotify. Yeah, well, of course, I got to have my music. Okay, good. And the only way you can do that, by the way, is with a credit card. They're pretty clever. The only way you can do that is with a credit card. All right. Number three says, okay, but now, how many of you pay for your own food? Well, far less hands went up, but some hands went up. All right. <laughs> how many of you are paying for your apartment or your dormitory room? Fewer hands still, but they're going up. Finally, the last question. How many of you are paying your own school bill? I turned around to look. I saw two girls sitting right there. That was it. Now, there may have been more. I couldn't see everybody. And then he said, let me tell you a story. As a student at Andrews University, this is what happened to me. You know those little credit card things that keep sticking in your your, uh, bag at the bookstore because everybody wants to get into that bag? I sent one in. I got a credit card. It came to me in my name. $200 credit limit. Yes. So he said, I started using that credit card, and I was paying the minimum payment. Oh, boy, did they love me paying the minimum payment. Suddenly, a few months later, I went up to $400. Yo, $400 credit limit. Good. And so I kept paying that minimum payment. Bum Suddenly, I go up to $800 credit limit. I kept making my minimum payment. They, True story. They raised me up to $1,600. My, 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 my. But what he didn't realize was happening is his minimum payment was making his debt go like this. And one day it hit him. He was so embarrassed and shamed. This is what he's saying right here. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was so embarrassed. I finally went to some close friends and I told them, You can't believe what I've done. Finally, I went to God. He said, He's a preacher's kid. He said, God, what am I going to do? I got myself in a pickle now. And just like that, not a voice, but a conviction it came to his mind Shoo! Yo, all that tithe that you haven't been paying in order to pay off everything else. What's happening with that?" And he said it was just like, ah. Oh. And then he put it up on the screen. So I'm gonna do the same thing right here. He put up these familiar words from Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, and he took it right beyond Malachi verse 10. It's 3, verse 10, on this one. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Bring me that 10%, God says. And I want you to test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. I want you to put me to the test. I want you to put me on the line. See if I'll come through and see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And most of us stopped right there, but he kept going. Good move. Johnny, I, God speaking, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, your cash crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Why? Then all the nations are going to call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord God Almighty. And he told us, when I read those words, I said, oh, my, I know what I must do. He says, So I began when I would get my paycheck. Not a big paycheck, but it would be in cash. As soon as I got back to the room, what I would do is I would, I would put that cash out, and I would pull off God's 10%. And I would say, all right, that's for God. That's His. First, right off the top. And he said, I started returning God's tithe. And then a few weeks later, something hit me. Look, if I could do that, and this is the genius of it, if I could do that for God's tithe, I bet you I could do that for food, clothing, whatever. So he. Next paycheck, cash. He puts it over here. All right. Put a little bit for food. Put a little bit for for clothing. Some needs. And guess what? He -hmm. went on. By faithfully setting aside what belongs to God, I developed the ability to budget my finances. (laughs) And I set aside... For every need I had, I set aside a little bit of cash, and slowly but surely... Now, I'll tell you what. He's living evidence. He stood right here and said, slowly but surely, my debt went down, down, down. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to please note that God did not send him a mystery check of $5,000 from some pen pal somewhere to dig him out of that hole. God said, no. You got a bright mind. You partner with me. You learn the discipline of setting my tithe aside, and then you begin to let it spread into the rest of your financial management as a 21-year-old or a 20-year-old or an 18-year-old. doesn't matter to me. We'll do it together, you and me. What did Jesus say a moment ago? Put the words on the screen again for us. Seek first. The kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things that you want. You just got to have the other things that you need. You will have them all. Isn't that cool? I mean, I heard the guy. was standing right here. Wow. You see, it's true. Jot it down. Action step number seven. This is it. Number seven. When you make God first, He will make it last. And last and last, but you got to make him numero uno. You got to make him Ichiban. You make him first. I'll take care of you, boy. Hey, girl, I'll take care of you. Sir, with that heavy indebtedness that you and your family are carrying, I'll take care of you. You make me first, and I will make it last. Test me. Try me. I'm the closest friend you have, and I'll take care of you." Isn't that wonderful? Wow. Because when you make God first, He really does make it last and last and last. No matter how indebted you are right now, I don't care the cause of your indebtedness, it does not matter. When you make God first, He will make it last. And listen to this. He will not only make it last. It gets even better than this. He will get you out, and He will set you free if you make Him first. So make him first. That's the echo from the empty tomb today. Make me first, and I'll take care of you. Until I return, I'll take care of you. Amen.